we will find mercy and we find grace to help us in our time of need. We thank you, Lord, for opening up our ears, open up our hearts and our minds to receive the engrafted word of God that's able to save our souls. We want to be one with you, spirit, soul, mind, and body, totally given over to you. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen again. Praise God. So we're going to talk today about communion with God, fellowship and communion with God, because that is so important, especially uh, in, in times of difficulty or in times of stress. It's always good to know that God is your constant companion. <clears throat> no, Jesus died so that we would have access to God. I mean, an open door and uh, to his throne and an open relationship and open door communication with him, never to be closed. This is supposed to be our way of life and, and we're supposed to increase in it, increase in understanding God. Everything should get better and better for us as we walk with God. However, experience lets us know that it's very common that people get more distant from God the longer they've been saved. Um, there are places where, say for instance, a family bought a pew and now we're on the third and the fourth generation, but we had some people missing, you know. And little Tommy decided not to go to this church or doesn't go to church at all. And so, it, you know, uh, um, a relationship with God is a commitment that has to be treated as such or it will diminish over time and over time you'll lose interest. So that's why the Bible refers to our life in Christ as a fight of faith, amen? And it's a good fight because it's well worth holding on to God and holding on to what he has given us. And so I'm always thankful when I see people who over the years have continued to serve God, who continue, like I'll, I'll see people uh, sometimes or, or run into them on Facebook or someplace like that, and I haven't seen them in 20 or 30 years, and I'll say, well, we both still serving God, and they'll say, amen, you know, we just, you know, sometimes you lose your enthusiasm like people, any relationship, you know, sometimes uh, it gets a little estranged, but we have such a need for God. It's just kind of hard to imagine not being as enthusiastic, but I think there are times where people, for different reasons, get distant from God. Sometimes it's difficulties, uh, you know, the difficulties of life cause people to lose heart or lose confidence that God is for them or that he loves them, wants to help them. Uh, sometimes we can get overconfident in our abilities and we assume that God is going to be all there all the time for us in case of emergency. You don't want to pull him out of the hat in case something goes wrong. You can always get God to help you, you know, instead of living a life uh, in fellowship with God on a continual basis. So we're going to talk about what it means to have fellowship and communion with God. This is not something that you have to uh, put a cramp in your life to do because he is your life. And I think if we understand and we kind of reflect and stand back and say, now, wait a minute, 
things aren't going the way I really want them to. I don't spend as much time in my word. In fact, I never crack my Bible anymore, you know, whatever it might be. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that just go day by day, you know, go to church and come home, go to church, come home. And then in the space in between, there's nothing uh, really devoted to God. I know over the years, many times, this being a prayer ministry, people are very uh, diligent about finding their prayer partners. Then after a while, well, to be honest with you, we haven't prayed, and so it's always we haven't prayed, like they're responsible. Well, you're responsible for making sure you pray. You know, you, you're responsible for brushing your teeth, combing your hair, everything else. So we really do have to take responsibility for our relationship with God. You know, sometimes you'll see like uh, people who have been married and then they divorce after 25 years or 15 years or something like that. And people, well, people say people that know you and know you as a couple or knew you as a family. Well, how's your wife doing? So, oh, we're not together anymore. Really? And they're shocked. Like, what happened? And, and sometimes we can be that way about the things of God. You know, you you say, well, how's your ministry doing? Well, I don't, you know, I used to, da, 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 da. and you're kind of shocked because it seemed like that was such, people are identified sometimes by their relationships. Like if, if you're in a marriage, you're identified with your spouse. And, you know, people will give a flimsy excuse, well, we grew apart. Well, no, you didn't stay together. You didn't grow apart. You didn't. You failed to stay together. And so we need to talk about how fellowship is so important in relationships. Communication is so important in relationships. And in undertaking what God wants you to do with your life, how important that is. I always tell people, you know, is sometimes your priorities are flipped around wrong because, you know, you'll see people that say, well, you know, I, I've known for a long time God called me to ministry. Well, what are you doing with it? Well, no, I see I, I, I got my kids took up all my time and my job takes up all my time. Well, he didn't say you're called when you get ready to be called. You're called when he tells you you're called. And see, we're so afraid of losing something if we obey God. Well, the Presbyterians across the street like it, huh? aren't we? Like he doesn't know you and he doesn't know what you need. He doesn't know how to help you. He doesn't know any of those things. So we're always afraid of a loss and not a gain. And if we do release some control of our lives to God... We're anxious about when we're going to get back what we just gave away. You see what I'm saying? As though he's not faithful and he's not just and he won't do the things that we are asking him to do and do them so much better. I think what God is really trying to do is to make sure that when we release control of certain aspects of our life to him, that he heals us from having to control everything. You know, it's like being addicted to something. 
you know, uh, you know, in the AA meetings, they'll have people stand up and give their testimony, and they can tell how long I've been sober for three months, 14 days, and 72 hours. You know what I'm saying? They know exactly when they let go of trying to control that addiction, and they took that pledge to let God help them with the things they cannot control. And so it's a good thing to understand that when God asks you to do something, it is for your benefit, for 100% for you, for your good. It is not to take anything away from you, but it is to get you to learn to trust him. Because believe me, you're going to want to know how to trust God. Because you're going to have to trust him totally with some things. Because you won't be able to do anything about it yourself. So really, in, in trusting God, as a fellowship or communion with God, uh, it, communion really is a, a, a process of getting to know one another. When you commune with somebody, you get to know them. Amen? So the word commune really means to subdue, to say, to speak, to rehearse, to teach, tell or think so these are all the things that we do with God so that we can have a beneficial relationship with him so that our lives can go well you know there's some things that that uh, you know relationships have to develop uh, over a period of time you you get to know people you kind of uh, delve into their thoughts or get to understand what they like uh, communing with God means that you trust him with the things that you desire you know you're able to talk to him about the little secret and private things that you like and things you don't like uh, as you open up to him you're able to talk to him about these things and guess what they're not a shock to him because most of them he knows because he put those desires in us. He put those things in us. Sometimes if we feel impatient about life or impatient about where we're going or the next level or the next step, God will kind of teach us and train us. You know, sometimes you don't need a change. What you need is to appreciate things where you are. You need a different perspective about things. And so communion with God and fellowship with God helps us get his vision and his view on life. You begin to take on his attributes. You take on his peace about who you are. You're not so excited about moving on to the next thing. You're not so anxious about things. You're not so focused on your faults and your problems and the things that are wrong with you. You're so focused on God that you begin to take on a different perspective about your life 100%. One of the things that I like about God is he takes all the fear out of life. Communion with God will, will make you not only fear less, but it will make you very, very peaceful. Number one, about who you are. Well, number one, about who God is. You need to be peaceful about who God is. And number two, you need to be peaceful about who you are. And where you're going. And yeah, when you commune with God, he'll let you know that where you're going is okay and you will arrive on time. Amen. Sometimes when you are taking on a different uh, 
projects or something like that. Many of you are in school. Some of you just completed school. When you were there day one, you were all anxious about whether you make it through. And guess what? You made it through, didn't you? You graduated. You got, you know, the grades pretty much you wanted to get. Everything was taken care of. And so that's what communion with God will do for us. It will give us that assurance that we need in life because going through life without God is very fearful. People are very insecure. They're very, uh, just by ourselves, we're our own worst enemy sometimes. And so communion with God will help us when we start speaking to him, we start telling him what we think, we listen to him, and we get an understanding of what he thinks. We grow in wisdom, we grow in knowledge, and we grow in understanding. Communion also means to utter, to meditate, to muse, and to pray. Sometimes it's good just to talk to God about different things you want to do. God, what do you think about? You think I could really do so-and-so? I mean, I haven't really ever been good at this or I haven't been good at that. You think I could, could go forward and do something like that? God, what do you have planned for me? And don't be afraid to put that out there. See, many times we don't want to ask God because we're scared of the answer. We're scared he's going to have us do something that we really don't want to do. Or he won't either that or he won't change our hearts so that we want to do it. So there are some things when the idea first comes to you, it might uh, take you off guard and it might cause you not to to want to do it or to, to frighten you. But never be afraid of what God has for you to do. I mean, he really, really does want us to accomplish much in life. Sometimes the life we think we're going to have is a very boring life. And God knows it. He knows you're going to need something to get excited about at some point in your life. So he gives us new things to do. And so we won't know that unless we have fellowship and communion with God. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 37, we see an interesting thing here. And this is true about everybody. What did I say? Mark chapter 1. You know, it's interesting how little we know about ourselves. And I think fellowship with God, if, if it does nothing else to help you, it will definitely help you to get to know yourself. Verse 35, it says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he, Jesus, went out and departed into a solitary place and prayed. Now, you'll see this about Jesus many, many times in the Word. You'll see he, he separates himself. Why? He's seeking communion with the Father. He's seeking fellowship. See, he had the disciples. He had a, a dynamite ministry. He had miracle signs and wonders all the time. He had multitudes and throngs of people following him. But he still knew that he had to have continual fellowship with the Father without being distracted by anything else. And so this is something that's characteristic about true fellowship with God. It doesn't include anybody else but you and him. And so Jesus, and this is the, the really the key to his success he knew that the foundation of a good solid life was fellowship with the father it has to be that has to come first 
I know a lot of times people are concerned about, well, when am I going to get this? And when am I going to get this? And what about my kids? And what about my job? And what about this? And what about that? But if you don't really have a solid relationship and fellowship with God, none of that's going to fall in place right. See, you'll be constantly trying to man please, look out for everybody, and then when they don't appreciate you, you're mad at everybody, you fall out with people. Why? Because we don't have that stability inside of us that fellowship with God provides. It makes you stable. It's like no matter who comes and goes in your life, as long as you have God, and I'm not talking about this weird religious thing people I don't need nobody you know that kind I'm not talking about that but I'm talking about a relationship as a foundation that helps you to understand who you are and how to relate to people how does God want you to treat people how does God want you to relate to people what is your gift that you can provide to people that enhances their life God's given everybody one of them and and many of us many more and so there are certain things that we need to have built into our life as a foundation and make that solid in us. And once that's solid, then we can move on to other things. You can move on to helping people. I remember when I was first saved, I, I, I stayed in that Bible all the time because that was the only place I found peace. Well, that was where I found God as a person. First, it was just promises that I read in, in the Bible and pages on a book and I would read them and I said oh I wish that were true you know you see some things like my peace I give to you and you're a nervous wreck you can't even get out the house and I would think to myself boy I wish that was true and then one day it was I realized that there was life in that word if I would put my faith into it and so that fellowship with God taught me that anything that I needed was in that word if I would believe him to supply it to me and believe I had it right then and right there. I remember years ago, I think it was your pastor, Jan. Um, yeah, right, right. I remember, remember we would go over and y'all would have a church in his house and he was, he is such a meditator in the word and he would come up with some revelations. Boy, they would help you and be right on time. I remember there were so many times I would struggle with different things that, as far as getting secure in who I was and, you know, being able to get out of the house without being nervous and not having to take Valium every time I need to go out the door and that kind of stuff. And I would venture out and go somewhere, and sure enough, God will respond to me every single time. See, that communion, that relationship, I knew that if I really needed something, he could get it to me. And that was just a wonderful thing for me to realize about the goodness of God. He would be people in my life, I didn't even know these people existed, and they didn't even know me. But at the right time, he could lead me to them to connect with them so that I could get the help that I needed. So trust God. When you fellowship with him, it builds great trust in you toward him. It really does. And so it's a good thing. So Jesus went apart and, and got in a solitary place. He said, let me get away from these crazy disciples. <laughs> let me get away from folks. And sometimes we need to do that. I mean, I think sometimes your greatest, uh, your greatest uh, strength will be in your ability to get away from things when you need to. 
just say no to certain things when you need to and get secluded away with God. And so he says uh, he went out and departed to a solitary place and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. They were so in love with Jesus. They were so overcome. And see, this is the thing about fellowship with God. You pursue it. Amen. You don't just, just you know, whatever, whatever. And okay, if God blesses me, blesses me. I don't know why I don't have this and that. You know, and live that kind of life. But you pursue the things of God. You pursue him. And he says, and, and when they had found him, they said to him, all men seek for thee. All men seek. All men seek for God. That I don't care who they are. I don't care what lies people tell you about. Oh, well, they Christians, you know, they y'all hypocrites. I said, honey, there's worse things than being hypocrites. You could be a hypocrite in hell. You understand what I'm saying? At least I know I'm going to heaven. Amen. <laughs> Don't talk to me about hypocrisy. Just get in the door, please. But, you know, it, it's it's an amazing thing about that uh, all men seek for thee. All men seek for thee. You know, I used to, when I was praying for, for my husband to salvation, for him to come to know the Lord and accept Christ. Now, I knew that the Bible promised household salvation. But if you don't see it happening after a while, the devil start to pick at you about that. And he would say, he may not be, he probably ain't called to be saved. No way. You know, back in the day when you're a, an immature Christian, you try to figure out who, who to spend your time with and who's a waste of time, you know. And I remember some of them churches, people say, well, I got to, you know, everybody ain't called to be saved. Well, yes, they are. I mean, God calls the, the whole, that's why he tells us, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he's not going to tell you not to preach to somebody because he's not going to save them. You're just told to preach to everybody. And so I can remember the devil giving me a hard time about that. And one day when I was reading the word, God showed me that scripture. He said, your husband seeks for me just like you did. Huh? In other words, put yourself in other people's position. Don't see if you got saved, anybody can get saved. And mean that from your heart. Everybody's open to receive from God. Why? Because deep down, we're all seeking him. Sometimes we, we make it a little hard for people to find the Lord, you know. But God, love covers a multitude of sins. I tell people in a minute, I say, I know I didn't ever do everything right. For my husband. So to really, when he got saved, you know, I said, glory to God, because it sure wasn't for my good behavior. Am I saying the right things all the time and uh, being a perfect Christian and all that kind of stuff? It wasn't that. But it was the faithfulness of God that leads people into his kingdom. He knows how to win souls. He can win them with our help or in spite of our help. You understand me? If they're called to be saved, God will find a way to save them. You can goof up and mess up if you want to, but if that person, if God's called that person to be saved, they will be saved. Trust me. They really will. And so all men seek for thee. That's what, that's what Peter told Jesus. Amen. And so Jesus broke up his prayer fellowship with the Father and went on. You know, the Lord said, okay, you can, you can let them. You can get back with them again. But Jesus used communion with the Father 
as the foundation of his life, his ministry, his peace, everything that he needs came out of that time that he spent with God. How much time do you have to spend with God? That's a religious question. Huh? When you get married to somebody, they don't you don't ask the 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 minister how much time do I have to spend with my husband or my wife? Huh? But you make those vows and you understand that God will help you with the time making thing. Amen. And sometimes it's not amount of time, but it's your heart cry toward that person. You know, just like we have a heart cry toward God, it's obeying that heart cry that wants to get close to God, that wants to talk to him, wants to share things with him and fellowship with him. I can remember when my husband was, I don't know, he, he had passed away, maybe it was about three or four years. And I thought to myself one time, I said, gee, I wish he was here so I could ask him about so-and-so. And the Lord said, ask me. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, he, he waits for us to include him in things. And I can tell you, I felt like, ooh, that big after he said that to me. Because it put me under conviction. I said, well, Lord, here I am looking, trying to get something that doesn't exist anymore. And you're here all the time. Uh, willing and waiting for me to, to talk to you and share with you the things that I need. And so it, it helps you in these situations to understand the willingness of God to solve every problem. The willingness of God to just keep you company where you don't have company. The willingness of God to fulfill everything that you need. But you gotta you got to get in that relationship. you got to give them a chance. You know, you got to try it. you got to give them a chance to do these things for you. And it'll open up a whole new understanding of what is going on in life and how to master life. I think that's the important thing. We need to learn how to master life. The Bible says Enoch walked with God and he was no more because God took him. Amen. So don't be scared you're not going to be here anymore. Once you start loving God and fellowshiping with, uh, fellowshipping with him, you get transformed. And I think that's the thing you could say about this story with him and Enoch. Enoch was transformed in that he, he lost the desire for earth. And then one day he just forgot to come home again. Amen. And so it's an amazing thing to know how wonderful it is to have that fellowship with God where you can live in that place where there's no problems, there are no worries, there are no cares, there, there's no fear for anything. Uh, there's just what they call sweet communion, where you, you have a relationship that's always good. You ever be around people that are moody and you don't know how to treat them, how to talk to them? You don't know what kind of, where they're going to go off on you today or what they're going to say or whatever. You know, you're just kind of iffy. Well, God's never like that. He's, he's never in a bad mood. I mean, who else can you go to that you could say that about? There's nobody else. And so God has himself set apart for us in a special way so that we will know if, if everything else in my life goes sour, if everything else fails, I still have God. Amen? I still have God. And it's a wonderful thing to know. In, uh, let me see. 
Isaiah chapter 1. Let's go there. It shows you where your fellowship with God begins. It's just so good to know that it, and it's not like, you know, don't compare your relationship with God with other people's relationships. You know what I'm saying? We can get, you can get discouraged from Jump Street trying to figure out, oh, well, you know, like uh, the, the gentleman that I've been listening to recently, Henry, Henry Groover, the prayer walking guy. Well, God has been able to, through his teaching, answer some questions that I'd had about some things for quite a while. And so I'm appreciative of that, but I'm not going to start looking at that as the answer to life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, some people get find somebody new to listen to, and that's all they talk about forever, and they buy up all their stuff, and then they want to push it on everybody else and all that kind of nonsense. It's not a fad like that with me, but I find that when I find people who have signs, wonders, and miracles in their ministry, I stop because I know that's the ministry of Jesus, and I want to hear how they do it so that there may be something in there that I can receive to enhance what I do. That's because that's where I'm. That's what I'm interested. I'm interested in what God's called me to do, and so I notice that. Uh, um, he he had this uh, relationship with God when he would talk about God speaking to him. It was always in a friendly, you know, like they know each other kind of thing. And I thought to myself, I said, boy, that's really good. You know, that's the kind of relationship. And it seemed so easy. It wasn't like God's up here and I'm down here and God's mad at me and I'm trying to figure out how to please him or anything. It was like two friends talking together, even when God was correcting him, even when God was pointing out uh, something that he wanted to correct in Henry. It was always as though he was approaching a friend. And I think that's what we need to start to cultivate more with God is he is our friend. He paid for us to have friendship with him, which means that it, it goes a lot deeper than what human friendship is. Friendship with God is never ending. Friendship with God cannot be broken. You're still, you're the, the friendship is, is a covenant thing that we have with God where there are certain assurances and promises God has given us in that friendship relationship. And it begins with the shedding of, of uh, Jesus' blood for the remission of our sins. In Isaiah chapter 1, I think I want to go to verse 18. Let me see. One, Yeah, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together. That word reason is the same word for communicate, talk, understand. Amen. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now, God tells us he does the work to prepare us to be friends with him. He says, let's reason together. Now, let, let me talk to you about this. Let me give you some understanding. You may think that you're so bad or you may think that whenever I talk to you is because you messed up 
or you may be expecting me to want to correct you all the time. He said, but let me straighten some things out. He said, you know that you, you stay away from me because you are distant, because you're either uh, um, off in a different world of thinking, you're thinking wrong about me, or you've got sin on your soul where you've been distracted, you haven't been paying attention, you haven't given me the time worshiping, praying, reading the word, whatever it is. Those things that distance us from God make us, uh, uh, put us in a place of sin, the sin of forgetfulness, the sin of uh, omission. The things we omit to do are just as damaging as the things that we commit to do. You understand what I'm saying? So if you lie, cheat, steal, fornicate, those are commission sins. If you don't read the word and you don't witness to people and you don't pray, those are omission sins. And so one is just as bad as the other to distance us from God. And so what God says, he says, now let, let, me, let me talk to you about this. He said, don't ever stay distant from me because of what you do or what you fail to do. He says, even though your sins may be as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. Huh? You mean like, really? Yeah, I'll wash all the stain out of your life, is what God's saying. Don't ever let anything that you have done or failed to do keep you away from me. Don't ever let the devil convince you that you've gone too far, this can't be helped, it can't be corrected, because it can and he says, though they be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. He said, I will renew righteousness in you. I will take that away from you so that you're just like I am. You're on my level. Amen. That's what God wants to do for us. Put us on the same level as him. Elevate us up to his place through his righteousness. So that is our entry into his presence is always through the blood. Amen. God taught all of his servants how to enter into his presence through the blood. From Adam and Eve in the garden down to Noah to Abraham and then finally to Jesus. The way back to God is always through shed blood. Amen. A life has to be given for a life so that we can have access. So God was able then to reason with the Jew to get him to understand that he wanted to have a path where he could communicate with him without having to go out and make a sacrifice and then come back and wait for an answer from God. All that kind of stuff. He says, though your sins be as scarlet, they will be white as snow. In other words, I will take sin off of you immediately. And that's a wonderful thing about this covenant that we have. You have the immediate remission of sins. You don't have to wait for God to feel good about you and, and decide to forgive you. He's pre-forgiven all of us who will meet the qualifications for receiving it. So it, uh, when we reason with God, that means that we argue, decide, convince, correct, and plead. So God then is able to help us get to a place of decision through him, through pleading, through argument, through deciding. So it's a mental process. So he's able to bring us to a point of a change of mind and then a change of heart about how we live, 
what we expect out of ourselves, what we expect out of others, all of that clears up because the blood washes us white as snow, which means that now you can think like God. Now you can act like God. Now you can know that you're approved of God. Now you can know that you're right with God. Finally, you have a, and if you don't feel right, if for any reason you start shying away from God, you run to him like you've never run to anybody before. Don't let the devil keep you distant from God. See, communion means continual fellowship with him. Not just, see, we like talking to God about what we do for him. Like if, if you, if you want to go witness or you want to go uh, minister or you want to go pray or you like praying and all that kind of stuff, we like talking to God about stuff we do. But we don't like talking about him about who we are. See, we don't like to go deep and let him strip us off of our religious ideas and all that kind of nonsense trying to impress him and like he loves you more because you're doing something you know what i'm saying he loves you the same now he wants you to get up and do stuff trust me but that doesn't change how he basically feels about us because really the the things that the 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 works that we do out of righteousness he can't give us credit for it if we do it out of our own ability he can only give us, you know, credit for it if he gets the glory out of it because we've used his faith. We've used his power. We've used his anointing. We've operated in his grace. And so he wants us to trust him so that he can grace our lives with greater ability to do more things for him because we, we go to him for everything. The communion is wonderful. I tell you, I'll get in my kitchen and, and I'll talk to God about, um, you know, just how, how I'm cleaning my floor and I do a better job doing it because he helps me. I allow him in there and I allow him to help me to get the things done that need to be done. It, it, there is so much. It's the little and the great that he wants to help us with. He, he does these things. Uh, because he wants life to be easy for us. He says his yoke is easy, his burden is light. He doesn't want you worried about everything. He wants you fearful about anything. He takes care of these things because he just, he, that's his promise to us. But staying in continual contact with him is the way it gets done because then you're always listening to him. You're using your faith for what you need. And, and his input is there in every decision you make. His input is there in every outcome. His input is there. Uh, and it, it's a wonderful thing to live in continual fellowship with God. It is. It, it's wonderful. And so when you walk with God and you uh, take on his ideas, you take on his mind, he begins to share things with you, life gets real, real easy. Amen. It gets real, real easy. We were, um, I, I, I had our refrigerator, for some reason, we go through a lot of refrigerators. I mean, I've had refrigerators last me for over 20 years. And then all of a sudden, it looked like, you know, it wasn't, wasn't so good. And um, I told the Lord, I said, no, I'm not paying. I just refuse to pay certain amounts for them. You know what I'm saying? So. I mean, that's just me. You can pay what you want to do for yours. but 
and I didn't want to. I didn't, I didn't like the prices on them. I said, all them gizmos, doodads. I remember, you know, talking about it. I remember when they bought a wooden box and you put a big slab of ice in it. It kept everything cold and all. You know, I'm just going back through history. And uh, <laughs> so anyhow, everybody adding a 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. But uh, I want to do it. I just refuse. Okay. So I said, okay, well, this one, I had bought the last one new. It was discounted, and it lasted maybe five years or so. And I said, well, I'll go get a used refrigerator. And I bought used refrigerators for churches all the time. They work fine. But I bought this one, and so it, something happened to it. It quit frosting in less than a year. And, and uh, so I was a big girl. I called the people out. Well, you know, we, we give a discounted service rate, but, you know, they put some parts in and did the molding again. I didn't know if your freezer, if the molding got loose on the freezer door, it would take the temperature down and all this kind of stuff. I don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. I ain't never had that happen before. And I wasn't going to fix it anyway, so I had to call them out or fix it right. So I had to call them. I said, you know, you sold me that with loose molding. And the guy, <laughs> the guy said, uh, oh, ma'am, I'm going to fix it now. I'm going to get it right for you. So I said, why are you here? I got a refrigerator out in the garage that's making noise. He said, okay. <laughs> so he fixed that one, too. He said, now, if they tell you, if they ask you about it, I didn't touch that one. I said, okay, that's fine. But so, you know, it was just, he had a little part in there, a little noisy thing, and he's, you know. But anyway, so then, now the ice maker. So I got to jump on now, honey. I got me a portable ice maker. I can make me all the ice I want to. I'm thinking about these people. But see, let me tell you something. The more prepared you are for emergencies, the less the devil mess with you. I figured that out. That's why people who who mean to stay uh, um, current on their bills save money for a rainy day because they're going to come. Rain comes to everybody. You understand what I'm saying? And so when you start preparing yourself, you ever notice rich people don't sweat about nothing? Huh? They are trusting in their riches, but that's part of taking the sweat out of your life. So I noticed that when I start getting prepared for stuff, the devil bugs me less about it. So I had the guy out yesterday. I think he finally showed up. He said, oh, oh, it looks like the ice maker failed. I said, really? He said, uh, yeah. He's backing out the door. To, you know what I'm saying? You know how they get. Because he knew they sold it to me. It wasn't the best. Uh-huh. So anyway, he backed out of the door. He said, yeah, I'll, I'll have to order one for you. We don't carry those around. I won't say, you don't carry nothing around. You said that the last time you was here. I wasn't expecting him to have it. So then I just was talking to the Lord about it, and I said, well, Lord, I'm not going to sweat it. I said, that's your refrigerator. I said, everything I have belongs to you. And so I just left it at that. So this morning, guess what? It's back making ice again. Amen. See, Good thing he didn't have that part. I'd have been paying for something. So I'll just believe for things to run supernaturally. You know what I'm saying? Now, see, I tried to play their game. I tried to play the warranty game and all that. And people say, what, you want to buy a warranty? And I start laughing. I said, no, nah. because <laughs> I don't even have faith in no warranty. I said, honey, I so trust God around here. You understand what I'm saying? 
You can't get man to take care of everything you need in life. But I'm telling you, if you keep continual fellowship with God, he reads your heart. He knows what your heart can handle. He knows what your pocketbook can handle. And so he will gear your life accordingly. I tell the Lord all the time, I say, God, I got too many things I want to do for you, for the saints, for everything else to be spending money like this, you know. And so help me out, Father. Help me out. And he always does. And he will always do things for us. But we have to cultivate a relationship where we know we can trust him. You just have to. You've got to stay, stay with him and stay close to him. Don't let anything separate you from his love. So in Isaiah, where we're Isaiah 1, 18, Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. They're, they're red like crimson, they'll be like wool. He says this, if you be willing and obedient. Now does that say, you know, do you have to fast every... You understand what I'm saying? You see how people can really complicate a simple relationship with God? He says... I'm going to put you in a place where you don't have to worry about the wrong that you do anymore, keeping you away from me. He said, I take care of the wrong that you do because I want you to live close to me. He says, and if you are willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Willing and obedient to what? Whatever you see in the Bible that he convicts your heart to do. Whatever you know God has ordained you to do in your life. If you'll be willing to do that and obedient to him, you will eat the good of the land. I learned how to be content with where God had me. I think that was my biggest challenge because there's so many things you think you want to do with your life. There's so many things out there that other people tell you that are important to do. You know, the devil can, can goad you into trying to do things that God has never ordained for you to do. The enemy always tempts you to get involved in things that God has no, he has no plan for you to get involved in those things. And so I learned how to be content right where I was and not run off trying to be something I'm not. Or, you know, people, people will say things like, uh, well, God uses you and, and you know, he's going to open doors. And I just look at them and they put their head down. I want to say nobody told you to say that to begin with, you know. I mean, seriously, you I've been doing this too long not to know what God wants me to do. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm content where I am. Now, the, I could do more. We could all do more. But there's a difference between being content where you are and being anxious about what else is out there. I refuse to get anxious about what else is out there. And just understand where God has me is where I need to be and where he wants me to be. So he says, if you're willing and obedient, just be willing to do whatever God tells you to do and obey him in it. Don't be ones to always offer excuses for why you couldn't get something done or excuses for why you think that's not a good idea or uh, maybe you need to pray about it and maybe you need to this, that, and the other. Sometimes you just need to try certain things, step out and do them. Uh, and, and understand that it's okay. You know, God will help you even if you make mistakes, if you don't do it right. You know, the first time I had to preach, I think I was up for three days trying to memorize everything I had written down. I was so nervous. And it stayed that way for a few years until I just finally learned 
that I could trust God. If he called me to preach, he shows up every time I go somewhere to preach, you know, and he helps me. You got me? And so these things you, but you'll never understand that unless you have fellowship, you have a relationship with God where you can talk to him about these things. God, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure I'm ready to do that just yet, you know, and he'll prove it to you every single time. Every single time he will prove it to you. I can remember when I was first um, first in ministry, and I, I, I thought he told me to start having uh, these meetings. And, and I told him, I said, well, God, I got to have money to do this and money. The minute my mouth said money, the money showed up. And I know there are people in ministry, been in ministry for years, that'll say things like, uh, well, I would get out and do it, but... I don't have enough money to do it. There's no such thing as not enough money to do what God told you to do. As rich as he is, are you kidding me? And so I always use the finances as an indicator of which way to go and what I'm to do. And And see, that comes through fellowship with God. That didn't come from man because I know there are many people that say, well, every open door is God. I don't think that. You know, there's some trap doors out there you can step into crazy things if somebody asks you to do something no uh-uh, i don't think so not not really i'm gonna pray about it first anyway but you have to have peace about these things and see those are things you understand through communion with god through fellowship with god he'll let you know uh when you're doing the right way thing and when you're not doing the right thing i can remember when it was time for us to leave uh the first church we were at we were at uh, pastor ron's church and i remember i had a girlfriend that would say i'm praying for you to leave that church i said listen don't bother i said i know how to hear from god where's your problem are you praying are you god last time i looked you you know who you are but you ain't god you know i mean there's certain things you don't intrude on you know, I know how to hear from him. You know, if I need you to pray, I can ask you to pray. If he tells me, have so-and-so pray for you, I'll do that. But you don't impose what you think is right for somebody. You see what I'm saying? And years ago, I wouldn't have thought two, two things about that. But God showed me. He said, listen, if I want you to do something, and he told me this. He said, be careful dealing with ministers. He said, because I hire them to work for me you don't tell them what to do or judge what they do you know you who are you to criticize another man's servant you got me and so these are things you learn through fellowship with god how when to step in when to back off now if god gives me a prophecy for somebody that's something different but always ask them if i can share that with them you understand you don't push into somebody's life just because you know you think you heard from god that's just nonsense but see, you don't learn these things if you don't. God doesn't teach you his ways. You have to have fellowship with him so you can learn the right and the wrong of things. I don't impose things on something. I remember uh, I, when we first moved to Detroit, we went to Wayne Jackson's church. And uh, uh, Aubrey and I were sitting in the audience, and he kind of <laughs> picked us out i guess he said y'all don't even look like y'all belong here you know what i'm saying (laughs) but you know his approach was he said do you mind if i pray can i pray for you and i picked that up as because the bible says you don't rebuke an elder but you entreat them as a brother you you politely enter in to their confidence or whatever and and i i understood that from from his 
his ministry and so forth. So as you go and you commune with God, you pick things up that are helpful to you because you like the fact that you didn't feel put upon when you went in somebody else's territory. You were entreated and you were respected and, and God did have an accurate word for us and I believe that's a key to accuracy for prophets is that you obey as much of, of God's protocol as you can in dealing with people. You give people a high level of respect because they're God's property. You don't just disrespect people because they're part of your congregation or something like that. You, you give them high respect. Amen? So if you're willing and obedient, you eat the good of the land. But he says if you refuse and rebel, amen, if you refuse and rebel, so there's a penalty phase. There is a penalty for disobedience to God. Now, you want to have fellowship with him. You want to have that good relationship with him. But there is a drawback if you don't do what he tells you to do. He says, if you refuse and rebel, I don't care what it is he tells you to do. You cannot rebel and refuse to obey God. He says, it's not going to go well with you. He says, you'll be devoured by the sword. Amen? Now, that was under the old covenant. You know, I think that sword also speaks for the word of God. You know, that word of God will cut you up. You know, sometimes you get in church and you just as pleasant, and then all of a sudden you, the knife starts coming out, you know, where you have to be corrected in things. Certain things have to be uh, cut away from your heart so that you can have a pure heart and a clear heart to, go, to obey God. He wants you to be blessed. We're blessed because we obey, folks. We're not blessed because we do this and we do that and we do the other. We're blessed because we obey. Many times people try to bargain with God. They want to do certain things, but they don't want to do the thing that he requires. Well, certain things are requirements for us if we're going to be successful. In the, like for me, a requirement is that I be in, in where God wants me to be pulpit-wise every Saturday and every Sunday. Now, I have Monday through Friday to do what I want to do up to a certain level. You understand what I'm saying? But I have to still have fellowship with God and communion with God Monday through Friday, even though I'm not preaching those, those five days. I have to do what he tells me to do. There are times when, when he tells you, I want you to go pray for so-and-so. Or I want you to go call them or go visit them, things like that. And then I'll have to do those things because I know that God is expecting me to do them. You got me? So it's not like you have a day off or a time off from communion and fellowship. You cannot rebel and refuse what God has given you to do. Sometimes people are hard to catch up with and God still wants you to catch up with those people and make that connection. I've learned how to ask God, you know, if I, I keep calling somebody like, you know, just business things or anything, if I, if I have a hard time getting hold of some, somebody, I'll say, God, can you pin them down today and, and have them available so that when I call, they will be there? And he does it every single time. You understand what I'm saying? So fellowship and communion with him, I trust him that if I need to do something for him, uh, he makes me available and he makes that other party available. That way you don't have excuses. Amen. Like, you know, people always say, well, I call my prayer partner, but they don't answer. No such thing. 
If God made the assignment, he has the ability to nail people down. Amen. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen immediately. Some people are hard to pin down. They like to wrestle with God. But he'll get them. He'll get them subdued. You understand? what? He'll talk to them in a way they understand that this is no game. You understand what I'm saying? People always think what God does is an option. He wants you to do. It's like, suppose everything, suppose everything you needed somebody to do was an option for them. You wouldn't, your life would be totally messed up. So God wants people who are dependable like he's dependable. See, he'll show you that he's a dependable God and that you can, he's worth trusting. He's worth investing the time into the relationship to get to know God and commune with him. And because he lives in you, you can have 24-7 fellowship with him. Amen? The Bible says, in him we live and we move and we have our being. Amen? He breathed the breath of life into Adam, and that breath of life has not never lost, left humanity. So that breath of life is still in every single human being that ever comes into the earth. So God keeps his word. He promised life, and he gives us life. In, in uh, Matthew 26, I want to show you the covenant that Jesus cut for the church with his disciples. If you look at the fact that he, his disciples were the heads of the first church of the living God, you'll understand his dealings with us a little bit better. In Matthew 26, This is where he invites all of humanity to fellowship with God the Father through him. Um, verse 17, the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where do you want us to eat the Passover? And he told them where to go in such and such a place. In verse 19, the disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made the Passover supper ready. Now, when the evening was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said to them, Truly, one of you shall betray me. Amen. One of you will betray me. Now, communion has to do with continual, unbroken fellowship with God. Continual, unbroken fellowship with him. Amen. When he talks about one of them betraying, it's, it's one of those things that we don't like to think about, but it's very common with believers. We betray one another all the time as far as God's covenant is concerned. Sometimes we hold grudges. Sometimes we'll, you know, borrow money from a, a saint and not pay him back. You know, offenses, things of that nature. That's a betrayal of your covenant. So we have a covenant of friendship with one another, unbroken friendship, just like we, we have a covenant of unbroken friendship with God. And guess what? God doesn't care who's at fault. For those of you who think that's important, I'm going to tell you right now, you have continual fellowship. See, what's important to him is that the relationship continue. It's not important who ended it. It's just that it continue. Okay, I'll talk to the Presbyterians across the street. You see what I'm saying? You see how you, our minds are stuck 
in a zone somewhere that excuses broken fellowship. There's no excuse for broken fellowship. Not with the power of the blood. He said, come on, let, let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, he's talking about you, me, everybody else's sins be as scarlet. He'll make them as white as snow. See, the devil is a master of, of magnifying misunderstandings. You see, we, he magnifies some things that are simple misunderstandings. Sometimes people are so guarded in their thinking toward one another that they, they're, they're, they're easy prey for the misunderstanding devil to jump in there and cause you to keep an attitude or an idea about something that's not God. See, God sees us all as sinless because he's paid for our sins. He's just waiting for us to come alive to it and wake up to it ourselves and uh, uh, toward one another. And so he is looking for us to love one another as he loves us and as we, and, and, and as we love ourselves. And so he sets up a covenant table. A communion table is a covenant table. Now, I'll give you an example. When you sit down with your family at the dinner table, how many of you know that the devil does everything he can, can to keep you from having that sit down together? Yeah, too busy. Oh, I ain't hungry. I went to McDonald's already. Huh? So you have to fight. And I know I've seen women fight. You know, I've seen them give up. I've seen them hold on. I've seen them, you know, you fight to hold on to that covenant meal. But so often we let it slip because of what? Misunderstanding, offense. I ain't cooked all day. I'm not cooking like this no more. Y'all don't ever come in and sit down and eat. No, sweetie, you keep doing it. You know why? Because that's important. Because of what Jesus did at the communion table. Now, what he did with them, he said, truly, one of you shall betray me. So he set forth the course of their lives at the communion table. Do you know if you sit down with your family members, you can set forth the course of their lives as you fellowship with one another around the, the dinner table. You do it on a regular basis and you will find your kids will tell you so much stuff you never knew was going on at school, in their heads, in their lives. See, it'll settle this estrangement, breakdown, secrecy, staying in your room, what you got in your room, what are you hiding in there, all these searches you got to do, you know, a, a, a surprise search in your kids, their teenagers' room. See, fellowshipping at the table will cause that not to be a necessity in your life. But see, people have forgotten the power of it and the importance of it. And I'm talking about even Christian people. Don't understand the importance of fellowship and communion around the table. Because it is a place where God resides and he will orchestrate that conversation. He will orchestrate that activity. He will control it and he will have it be what he wants it to be because you are following the biblical pattern of communion with one another and breaking a bread. Breaking a bread causes friendship to occur among people. 
That's why we still have a fellowship meal. I don't care about who shows up and how many people. And, you know, people get discouraged about nothing sometimes. You know, and says, well, we don't have that many people no more. Well, you better go get some. Huh? If you're not satisfied with the numbers, go get some more. I'm not stopping you one little bit. But that's not going to diminish how I feel about it, how often I have it, whether or not we do it. It's not going to diminish none of that. You understand me? Because God told me to do it. It will shock you how many people don't are so uncomfortable to sit down and break bread with another individual. Why is that? Because of misunderstanding, offenses. Don't want to get close. What are they going to do? I don't know. You know, I, I don't know how to use a knife and fork. I said, we don't either. That's why you get plastic. It's all plastic, you know. It ain't going to work right no way. So, yeah, put it out there. But, you know, uh, the shame that comes on people when they have to. See, there's something of, uh, um, that makes you vulnerable when you sit. Why? Because you eyeball to eyeball. That puts you on an equal playing field. There's no big anybody. There's no little anybody. Everybody's the same because you're all seated around a common table. You fellowship. You break bread. You bless it and you eat it. You partake of what? Oh, uh, 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 uh. is that turkey or is that chicken or is that beef? What difference does it make? God provided it. I can't eat this and I can't eat that. What can you eat? We got some grass over there. We got plastic leaves on the plants. Mm -hmm. See, and people don't realize the offense that they cause the host when they refuse what's put before them. See, in the Middle East, you don't do that. When you accept the invitation, the invitation is for whatever is put there. You got me? And you receive it gratefully, thankfully. You thank your God for it, and you bless it and eat it. That's why that provision for you is in the Bible. That that if you bless your bread and your water, he'll take sickness away from the midst of you. You know why we got so many sick people? Golden arches. And you eat in the front seat of your car, driving around. Huh? You never eat with break bread fellowship with anybody huh i'm i'm a widow by myself and it's still important for me to fellowship with people around the breaking of bread huh now why is that because i believe in it i believe in the power of it i believe in the power of it to build relationships and to tear down walls i believe in the power of it to draw people together to make friends out of people that might be enemies you understand me? If we did more of that, folks, we'd have less crazy people running around here that don't know how to get along with anybody. Fewer homeless people. You know what it takes for you to be homeless? It's not, it's not so much a financial thing, but it's a spiritual thing. It's something that divides people from other people. And it's very prevalent in the world. When you refuse to sit down with somebody and break bread, that means it's because you're an enemy with them. It's, it's taken very seriously in certain cultures. But in this culture, we just, eh, you know, that's old crazy John. He, don't want, he ain't going to eat them greens, girl. He, you know what I'm saying? It's, 
just a thought. But if you have a family, you know, <laughs> hurt yourself to get them to sit down together. Because it is important. You must share values. That's how you share values. That's how you share ideas. That's how you come into agreement on certain plans that are made. Amen? That's how, it's how your kids learn manners. That's how they learn a lot of things right there at the dinner table. So don't skip that. Amen? Now, there are some people that just go run somewhere and hide, but beat them up and get them to the table. There's no reason they should be sitting around by themselves. There's no reason you should have to have the TV on every time you eat. Okay, I'll talk to the Presbyterians again. You see what I'm saying? You're fellowshipping with a, a screen. And that's why people are so detached from one another. That's how there's so many misunderstandings, even among families. You know, in a family, you should know exactly what everybody at that table likes, dislikes, what their problems are, pray for one another, how to approach one another, how to build one another up. That's what the fellowship table is all about. It's about building people up into one man. And so as, as Christians, we are already in covenant with one another because of what Jesus did at the communion table. I know I'm talking to deaf ears because people, well, I don't have time for that. What do you have time for? You got me? What do you have time for? I remember when we were kids, when, when we were small children, my mother always had us around the dinner table that we waited for my dad to get home. Nowadays, kids don't want to eat. That's why I bet it's the fat. You understand what I'm saying? We got weight problems. Why? Because we just are self-directed in everything. We're not community-directed or communal-directed. But it's good for my mother to say, oh, don't be grabbing that. Your daddy getting ready to come home. We're going to all sit down and eat together. And see, over the years, that left. Huh? Mama got sick of cooking. Hard times, you don't have the kind of food you want to put out there. You know, all kinds of crazy things can happen. But I would say this, fight to hold on to that tradition, see. Don't ever get accustomed to somebody being missing all the time from the table, amen. Because that's an estrangement, that's, that's, and it will turn into a betrayal, you got me. Because if you allow that to happen and, and people stay away, see the enemy's got it all planned for us. Everybody go through the drive through at Mickey D's. Huh? Or we start eating out of cardboard boxes all the time instead of plates, you know, and setting a table, et cetera, et cetera. And so if we do that, and I have to watch myself sometimes, I think, oh, look, I can put myself in my flip. It's saving for later. Yeah, this Elsa said, at least I put, bring it to the dinner table, me and my flip, and I have real silverware, not plastic all the time. Well, you know, see, I'm single by myself. You got me? And so, you know, there are certain things that you can hold on to. I definitely don't want to sit up there and look at that stupid television while I'm eating. And don't want to watch it when I'm not. Amen. The news you get it twice, you get a CNN, you can watch that all, same thing over and over again. <laughs> we don't watch, I don't watch CNN, but, you know, they were the first 24-hour news station. 
And if you notice, that same news that played an hour ago plays again. You're not missing anything, in other words. Just a habit. See how people race to get in front of the television, and it plays over and over and over again. Same thing. You're not missing anything. Too much. So Jesus had them at the Passover meal, told them one of them would betray him, and they were exceeding sorrowful and began everyone to ask, Who is it, Lord? Who is it? And he told them which one it was. And so he told Judas, which betrayed him, Master, is it I? And he said, You said so. Amen. So then he begins to to partake of the fellowship of the communion meal with them. He took the bread and blessed it. Verse 26, and broke it, gave it to the disciples and say, take, eat, this is my body. Took the cup, gave thanks, drink all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Amen. And so Jesus was able then to bring them into, this is how the church was born. He brought the, it was born in covenant, and it continues in covenant. When you get born again, you are born again into a covenant with God. And that one is one that entitles you to continual fellowship. Just like Jesus had fellowship with them over that supper, your born again experience and keeping your fellowship with God entitles you to have a one-on-one communion with God on a continual basis. It makes no difference. What you've done, it makes no difference how far you've strayed away from God. That that communion table is still evidence that you have a, a waiting covenant with the Lord that you can enter into at any time. We have fellowship with one another. First John 1, 3. It's through the blood of Jesus that provision is made for us to have fellowship one with another. He said, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So the fellowship that we have with God and his Son is so that we can have not just worldly joy, but a full joy. When he talks about your joy being full, that means your joy goes beyond your circumstances, goes beyond the affairs of this life. It goes into a deeper realm, a full realm. And what does that mean? That means that if you have full joy, it's bypassed the condition that you're in. It's bypassed even if you have Say if you have an ailment in your body or you don't feel physically as good as you want to, you can still have joy. You can still, you know, you can any saint, you can get around, if you're a joyful person, you can get around any saint and share joy with them. I don't care what what their situation is, what their condition is. I remember being with somebody who was terminally ill and and eventually passed away and we were able to laugh and have joy and fellowship now we weren't laughing at the illness or laughing at that but there was genuine joy there 
in the things of God. Why is that? Because that's a full joy. See, people in the world don't have that. You know, don't get yourself confused with your neighbor who doesn't know God. That they will never have the fullness of joy that you can have because of fellowship with God. Amen? And so, uh, in God has given us the ability to share that through the ministry of reconciliation. This is what we are called to do. We're called to bring people together with God first and then together with one another. Amen? It, it's a wonderful thing when you can see people who used to be enemies and now they're friends. Or people who used to be offended. Everything they did offended one another. And now all of a sudden they've laid down their weapons against one another. And they found the good. See, it's always, always the enemies trying to steal the blessing that that person would be to you through misunderstanding and offense. That's his game. That's why God said, he said, I don't care about who's right and who's wrong. I want the relationship mended. He wants reconciliation. See, anybody can be reconciled to anybody else because of what Jesus did. You can't tell me it can't be done. People throw away marriages, families. They walk away from good churches. Good. Look at all the people you met and were friends with along the way in that congregation. And now you, you say they don't count anymore because you're offended about something. Now, how foolish is that? And you're supposed to carry reconciliation with you everywhere that you go. Now, you didn't quit on everything. Why? You let the devil, you didn't do the first, first thing. What God said, come let us reason together. You quit reasoning together with God. So that's always, to me, when people fall out with people, it's an indication to me they've fallen out with God already. Mad at him. I got a prophecy that said I was going to get married. I ain't married yet. And you won't like it. Ouch. Unless they like vinegar every day. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, get right with God. Start letting him show you the loving person he called you to be. Amen. Like you don't just order up a husband or order up a wife like you order in a, a hamburger or something. You, those are them's people. You have to respect people and, and make yourself the right kind of person uh, to be available to a person and, and in a loving way. And, and let God do that remake on you. Amen? And, and then things will work out. But you've got to trust God. So that fellowship relationship, extremely important. It's, it's going to be the best one of your life. If you never get your big house, if you never get your this or your that, you got Jesus. You know, it's, it's, he died to give you him. Enjoy him. Amen. Father, thank you for your word and understanding. And thank you for these wonderful Presbyterian people. <laughs> and we thank you, Lord, for allowing us access to your heart and your mind, as you always do when we get together. Thank you, Lord, for our time of fellowship as this meeting is over. Bless our bread and our water. Take sickness from the midst of us. We honor you and we love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen.